Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and those who are joining us for the first time. We want to welcome you to this gathering of uh, Christ Covenant Fellowship. Uh, my name is Tyler Cash. I, I get to be one of the pastors of this uh, body. Grateful for that. Uh, grateful that you're joining us uh, if it's your first time. I would love to uh, introduce myself, uh, hear who you are, uh, how you heard about CCF um, after the service. So uh, feel free to hang out and come see us. Uh, we've been studying the minor prophet Amos. And Amos is in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 7 today. We're going to work our way through all of chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, turn with me there. I'm st- uh, I'll be preaching from the ESV. Uh, if you don't have a, an ESV Bible, we have some in the back. Uh, you can grab one. You can raise your hand, and one of the ushers would uh, will grab one for you. But uh, we're going to work our way through all 17 verses of Amos chapter 7. I'm going to read this for us when... You find it if you can look up so I know that you have arrived. Don't be afraid to ask your neighbor if you can't find it. Don't be afraid to check the table of contents uh, for Amos. Amos chapter 7. Read this. I'll pray. We will look at God's word today. Amos chapter 7 reads this. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire. And it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there. Prophesy there. 
but never again prophesy Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. And your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and yourselves shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Let us pray. Uh, Father God, there is a, a, a lot to unpack in this chapter. Father, there's a, a seriousness here. There is a, a level of authority that is presented. There are some characteristics that we see. God, and, and I would ask that you would help us to grow in these areas. Father, I, I pray that as we study this today, that uh, you would transform our hearts, that you would help us, each and every one of us, to leave here different than we walked in. I pray, Father, that you would humble the sinner, that you would bring strength and encouragement to the weary. And Father, anyone that may be far from you would see Christ. That they would answer the call to repent and to trust in Him for all their needs. Father, I need your help. We need your help. And we ask what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? What we have not, would you give us by your grace for your glory? In Christ's name, and God's people said, Amen. Today, as we look at this seventh chapter of Amos, we see a pivot in the prophet's message. Um, Amos has spent the, the, the fir first portion of this prophecy bringing to light the sins of his audience. Uh, he lays down a solid indictment to the people of Israel, leaving little room for speculation. And here, the prophet shifts from speech of their sins to a sight of their sins and the destruction that's coming because of it. Uh, here we see uh, in the next couple of chapters, we're going to see these five visions that are laid out that he has received from the Lord. And in these visions, what Amos sees is what the day of the Lord that we had looked at earlier was look, will look like for the house of Israel. Uh, these visions that we'll look through will be this in sequence. Uh, we'll see a plague of locusts in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7. We're going to see a fire that devours the ocean. In verses 4 through 6, we'll see this plumb line that's used to measure the nation. 
in verses 7 through 9. Then in chapter 8, we'll see a, a basket of summer fruit. Uh, we'll get into that next week. And then in verses nine, or 1 through 10 in chapter 9, we'll see a vision of the Lord by the altar. And today we get three of these visions as we look at chapter 7. And as we look at these visions, I want us to grab a hold of three characteristics of the prophet of Amos. So we're going to walk through these visions. We're going to walk through this text. But I want us to grab a hold of three characteristics or marks of a prophet. Um, if you're taking notes, you can write these three things down. One mark is compassion. The mark of a prophet is that of compassion. The second mark we will look at is that of conviction. Conviction. Uh, the third mark we'll look at is the mark of courage. A, a prophet is one who is one that has courage. Now, let me clarify something here for us, okay? Amos is not the hero here. Amos is not the main character of this prophecy. God is. Amen? And ultimately, Amos, along with the rest of the prophets, point us to the perfect prophet, Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a, a doctrine called uh, munus triplex. Okay, it's a Latin phrase, and it describes the threefold ministry of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills them perfectly. And I'm not going to get into all the details of that today, but essentially, this doctrine teaches that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the three different kinds of people or roles that take kind of center stage in God's story in the Old Testament. So God, Jesus, perfectly fulfills these roles. Uh, as we know, right, God is saving a people. He's saving Israel. And so there is a, a role here that is played throughout the Old Testament. And as prophet, uh, Jesus pronounced some things. Uh, he pronounced, one, the end of all of our sins. Praise God for that. Uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet was the spokesman uh, of God to his people. He often introduced his words by saying, thus says the Lord. You're probably familiar with that as we've been looking through Amos. And then as God's mouthpiece, the prophet spoke words of indictment against their audience for their sins, and then the prophet would call them to repentance. The prophet also would pronounce uh, forgiveness and pardon by God. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate all-sufficient prophet, has perfectly done all of these things for us. First, Jesus didn't just proclaim the Word. Jesus is the Word. He is God Himself. Second, Jesus came to confront sin as a perfect example of holiness. So He brings confrontation and brings perfect representation. Third, Jesus proclaimed 
our need to believe and repent and repent and believe in him. And finally, Jesus proclaimed our pardon and forgiveness for sin. And that is good news for anyone who is standing in condemnation, in just condemnation, under the wrath of holy creator God because of their failure to repent. So I want to make sure that we don't miss Christ here. I want to make sure that uh, we don't miss the main point of of what we see here is we kind of see more of uh, the prophet's work here in Amos. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is the point of all scriptures uh, from beginning to end. So we've got to get that right. Uh, My goal as we walk through chapter 7 today is that one, we are challenged by Amos as we kind of look at Amos, uh, the prophet, as we see this Man, I want us to be challenged to live as he did. Um, now, we, we're not prophets in the same way as Amos was a prophet, but we still have a call to live in a prophetic way. Okay, it, It's different now. Uh, we are prophetic in the sense we speak the truths of Scripture. Uh, so we're not necessarily foretelling uh, new events or, or, or judgments that will come because of People, we, we now have God's word. Uh, so uh, if there's anything that is presented as God's word, uh, 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 thus saith the Lord, uh, needs to be followed by thus saith the chapter and verse. Uh, it, it must be here. There is no new revelation. There is no new word from God. Uh, we get into a lot of dangerous territory when we start to think that way. But we have a prophetic calling. We're, we're called to point people to the things of Scripture, of God's Word. Uh, today is the uh, 504th anniversary of the Reformation. Uh, you should all be glad for that if you're a Protestant. Uh, it's a good thing uh, that we look back to what the Reformers did during that time. Uh, and the Reformers were prophetic in their day. Uh, they, they spoke into uh, some mistaken truths and some misguided teachings and said, no, we got to get back here. We've got to get back to the Word of God. We've got to help people to see what God's Word says. So just as it was for them uh, and many in between, the calling is still true today for us. And I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there is some reforming that needs to happen in the church around us. We need to be people that are diligent in our efforts to point people to the prophetic truths of God's Word. Uh, The second thing that I I would hope that we would get, uh, my second goal, I would say, for this time is that we would be encouraged by Christ. We would be truly encouraged by Christ. See, as we see the precipice of perfection in our Savior Jesus, as we compare and we we look at the prophet who was pointing to the perfect prophet, Jesus Christ, 
that we would grow to love and treasure him more. Remembering that ultimately Israel's only hope is him. And these visions of doom would read a lot different if we didn't know about Christ. Uh, We'd be reading this a whole lot different. And ultimately, that's what the prophets point to. The Messiah, the one that will come and ultimately save. So, so, so I hope, I mean, that's the goal, right? That we would learn to, to treasure Christ. We would leave here with a, a bigger picture of who Jesus is. That our affection for Him would grow stronger. As John Calvin once said, whoever is not satisfied with Christ alone strives after something beyond absolute perfection. Jesus is the precipice of perfection. He is perfect. The first vision that we'll look at with those goals in mind and those three outlines is the vision of locusts. Let's look at verse 1 here. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O oh Lord God, please forgive him. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And then we read that the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be said the Lord. Uh, the, the second vision, would kind of, th- this one kind of follows the same outline here, so we'll, we'll include this here. Uh, it says, this is what the Lord God showed me in verse 4. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please see. So you, you see here, uh, Amos intercedes here, and we'll get into that in a moment. And, and here's what Amos says. He says, how can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. So this first vision that we just read, it it shows a a swarm of locusts devouring crops after the king had apparently kind of gotten the first uh, gatherings of it. Um, Likely there was a form of Uh, taxation that the common people, the farmers, would have to give to the king first. He would take the the first fruits of the harvest. And this threat conveyed by this vision is that the common people now would be deprived of the crops and food they needed to carry them through to the next harvest. Uh, We all know we need food to live. And here we see this vision that Uh, There will be locusts that destroy the crops. Uh, The second vision is a vision of fire. Uh, This vision of fire is destroying the land and the water supplies. Uh, That's what the great deep is referencing there. If you want to know what that is, uh, it would say that it's the the great deep of the oceans, of of the water systems. So ultimately, the prophet here is saying that it, there's going to be a drought. Uh, something is coming. There's going to be a fire that's going to destroy this, and it's going to leave a drought. Then Amos does something. He sees these two visions. He sees 
locusts devouring crops, fire bringing a drought. And Amos is moved. He, he's moved here. He, he, he calls upon God to, to relent. He intercedes for his people. He says, oh, Lord God, please forgive. In verse 2. Then in verse 5, he says, oh, Lord God, please cease. Like, like please don't do this. Amos cares about what is going to happen. Amos is concerned. And brothers and sisters, it would serve us well to pay close attention here. Look, too often I myself can get into the I hope they get what they deserve mode. Very easy. I mean, especially if it's like something that's done to me. Hey, I hope they they get what they deserve. And clearly, the Israelites deserved what was coming. Uh, If you haven't been with us, uh, go back today, this week, uh, read this prophecy. Listen to it. Clearly, they were in the wrong. But here we see Amos representing compassion. He he represents something that is is a characteristic that we should all strive to model, especially when dealing with the sins of others. See, we see Amos, he's talking to God. He's demonstrating here this intercessory role, and he's asking God to spare them. And here God does relent. Now, got to be careful here we must know that we don't bend it our prayers we we don't bend God's will Uh, we don't change God's minds but through his divine providence God beyond our understanding decided to work through the prayers of his people so it is important that we pray that we pray with compassion, that we pray intercessory prayers, interceding on behalf of others. The best thing we can take from this and from the overarching understanding of how our prayers work is that God wants you to pray. God wants you to talk to Him. Me too. This is you, us. He wants us to pray. He wants us to pray on behalf of others. And this causes some reflection. This begs the question, how do you pray? Are you always praying for you? And what you can get and what you want. And Lord, just make my life better. I mean, do you even pray at all? I saw an article recently, and it was talking about, it was from a, the early points of social media, and this pastor was kind of reflecting on 
social media, and he, he said that one thing that social media will prove is that the Christian had time to pray. What's consuming our time? Do we spend more screen time or, or prayer time? How are we spending our days? And then if we are, how are we praying for those around us? We see this compassion. See, Amos, Amos could have done a lot of things here, and we're going to get into that here in a moment as we continue to read. We see that Amos has compassion. He cares for those around him. And as I mentioned, we're, we're going to point to Christ here, and I want to look at some ways the, the, the perfect compassion of Christ is displayed. Numerous parts of the New Testament. I'm going to read a, a few for us so we can gaze and, and fixate our gaze on Jesus. Uh, one, the story of the widow's son. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 13, it says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, Do not weep. I mean, Jesus demonstrated compassion. He already knew what was going to happen. But he entered in to this pain and had compassion for this woman. Uh, when Jesus feeds the 4,000 in uh, Mark chapter 8, in verse 2, he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. Jesus is saying, hey, I care about these people. On the cross of Calvary, Luke chapter 22, we see the, the scene unfold. See Jesus breathing his last breath after extreme torture, excruciating pain brought on to him by those whom, to which he speaks. He says, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He has compassion. He cares. You know, I think of the, the many times that I lived uh, a life of, of sin and rebellion to God. And, and I think of this, right? Like, like Christ saying, like, Father, forgive them, interceding, mediating on my behalf. I wonder if that's the same for you. We see this third vision here. We see this vision of a plumb line. And we read in verses 7 through 9, he says, this is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And then Amos said, I, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. 
and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Uh, This third vision and response do not contain an intercession by the prophet or a relenting from the Lord, which would signify the certainty of fulfillment. Uh, Here, Amos sees the Lord standing beside a wall that was built with a plumb line. And and then he's got a plumb line in his hand. Now, a plumb line, uh, some of you may know, uh, others may not, it would be a, a weight that would be tied to the end of a string, a rope, or something, right? And so gravity would work in its favor, and you would hold something there. You would tie it up to, to ensure that the, uh, whatever you were trying to um, compare uh, to make sure it was straight was indeed straight. And so what is happening here is that Amos sees this wall that was constructed with a plumb line. So the implication here is that there was a time to which there was a, a straightening There's a standard that needs to be instilled. And then we see that he, the Lord, stands beside this wall with now a new plumb line. And indeed, it shows that it's no longer straight. They have gone wayward. He is now measuring Israel's present condition. He's saying, this is not the way they were intended to be. This is not the way that I built it. This is not what I had in mind. In verse 8, this becomes clear when the Lord explains He's measuring the condition of Israel. This implication is that they have become completely and totally misaligned and uneven with God and God's standards. Even though He established His covenant with the nation, He gave them His law, they have turned away from Him and they have become corrupt. So the Lord essentially, He finds that Israel cannot be fixed here. And that is a result of their sin. There will be a remnant. We will see that. But we must note here that sin is a failure to stand straight according to God's righteousness. As Pastor Brandon mentioned earlier, that is something that we all do. We have all fallen short of that standard. But praise God for Christ. Listen, it doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter how many good deeds. It doesn't matter how much money you give to the church or other nonprofit organization. It doesn't matter how well you love your neighbor. If you are void of Christ, you do not meet the standard. We need Savior. See, God's standard is flawless perfection. And none of us have done that. 
Only Jesus can fulfill that role. And just like sin in our own lives today, just like sin everywhere else, the consequence is that sin must be destroyed. It must be corrected. Uh, the Lord goes on, He communicates this with an allusion to uh, the Passover. He says that I will never again pass over them. Uh, this is reference to Passover in Egypt. And he says, instead, I will destroy their high places and sanctuaries. And essentially what he's saying is, my patience will run out. My, my patience has grown thin. Brothers and sisters, God will only withhold His wrath for a certain amount of time before it is unleashed on the deserving. Uh, scripture teaches us that those that are walking in rebellion are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. And, and that is something that should cause us all to be sober, to be staggered as we think of the judgment that is to come on those who will not turn to Christ. It should compel us to evangelize. It should compel us to live our lives differently. Talked about that last week. Here we see these high places that were shrines on hilltops where the people, they, they engaged in false worship. A few weeks back, Pastor Brandon preached a message on that where we saw the false worship and here God shows His destruction of these places. Another reminder, God indeed cares about our worship. God cares how He is worshipped. See, these sanctuaries, they were temples in the cities, uh, those in Bethel and Dan. And essentially, he is saying that God will reduce their religious sites full of hypocrisy, full of false worship, to rubble. Furthermore, he says that the dynasty of Jeroboam II, right? Uh, Jeroboam II would be the future king here, will fall to the sword. And then we see in verses 10, we start off with this very uncommon discourse between Amaziah and Amos. And Amaziah is the high priest at the shrine of Bethel. So we got to take in consideration here that he's a pretty important fellow for this day and age. And so here's what it says. Look at verse 10 with me. He says, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. So let's pause for a second. Let's see what's happening here. Uh, so essentially, Amaziah accuses Amos of scheming against the king. 
And if we look even uh, further, he actually misquotes the prophet here. He actually says here, Jeroboam shall die by the sword in verse 11. That's not exactly what Amos has said here. Uh, Technically, the earlier prophecy only stated that the house of Jeroboam would face the sword. So we kind of see a little manipulation going on in this situation to kind of gain some political favor. uh, Because nothing was directed toward the king himself. And while Amaziah's summary of the prophet's message of Israel's coming exile from the land of more accurately reflects the truth. The conveying of this information to Jeroboam comes from the priest's own words. He says, here's what I'm going to take what was said and I'm going to twist it to accomplish what I want to accomplish. What a reminder for us today. To never manipulate God's Word. We must take God's Word for what it is. And then we see that Amaziah, he, he commands Amos to leave Israel. Look at verse 12 here. Amaziah said to Amos, he says, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah. He says, eat bread there, prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the uh, temple of the kingdom. I mean, what an arrogant guy we, we see here. This arrogance of priest Amaziah. I mean, he, he just wants to shut Amos down. He, he won't listen to the instruction, to the words that Amos is bringing. He's only concerned about himself he tells him he says go away he says don't preach that message here a lot of hostility seen here a lot of hostility towards the preachers of God's word we see today Uh, those that unapologetically preach the truth of scripture are not always the most welcomed in culture They're not usually invited on Oprah and CNN and different uh, programming that would say, hey, what do you think about this issue? The the culturally relevant. And even some in churches today flee from churches that speak the hard truths of Scripture. Scripture. They want a watered-down message. They want to leave feeling good about themselves and self-help talks. It'll make them feel better about the sin. Coddle the sin you're in rather than repent and pursue the Holy One. This reminds me of the story of the great preacher Charles Simeon. And Charles Simeon, some of you may be familiar with him, but his legendary ministry began with Trinity Church in Cambridge in 1782 when he was only 23 years old. I don't recommend that for any of you today. But however, 
Charles Simeon's beginnings with the church was anything but smooth. Uh, Much of the congregation of Trinity Church, uh, they strongly protested the young preacher's appointment. Uh, They didn't want him there. In those times, that uh, what would happen was uh, there would be uh, a pastor would be installed to a a specific place, and in this church, they didn't so much like Charles Simeon. They had another guy that they liked. Uh, Some scholars and historians would say because Charles Simeon spoke the hard truths of Scripture. Uh, They compare the other guys, some of his teaching. We don't need to reference him, but. What would happen, though, is that some of the uh, members of the church, uh, they had pews, they had these booths that they would sit in, and they would be reserved. You think uh, you have your reserved seat now. They really had their reserved seat. Uh, They actually had, they could lock the side of these pews. And so what would happen is uh, these members of the church, they protested Charles Simeon so much They wouldn't attend the service, and then they would lock their pews so no one else could attend. And with most most of the pews locked up, those that would venture to hear Charles Simeon preach had to stand in the aisles. And so Charles Simeon, being the the man that he was and the compassionate man he was, he would lay out and, and set out chairs for these People. Uh, just kind of imagine and hear none of the seats being feel, filled and everyone standing around. And uh, so they set out some chairs for him. But then uh, the high officers of the church actually took the chairs and tossed them into the alley. Uh, some historians say that they were quoted as saying, if you want to hear something, hear the cats, hear the pigeons, hear the alley sounds but don't hear this man preach Simeon endured hostility and difficulty for years the congregation exercised all their power to make things uncomfortable for Charles Simeon they even appointed a separate minister to preach on Sunday evenings to kind of eliminate Simeon's time in the pulpit the young preacher preached to what he called bare walls for the first five years of his ministry then in year six the opposition eased somewhat but still remained difficult for another four years after 10 years of hardship he eventually had a very productive ministry at trinity church that lasted the sum of 54 years That's a tenure to be in a pastorate. Uh, The average pastorate now is three years in America for a lot of um, sad reasons. But 54 years of faithful ministry, and he's considered as one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. Look him up later if you've never heard of him. But it's a reminder of the opposition to the message of truth often. It's a reminder that God will have His way. And that those that stick 
to the Word. Stick to the truths of Scripture. Will be counted faithful. Let that be an encouragement to you. Even if you're, you're not a minister or pastor, you, you are a minister in your sphere of influence. Let's look down here to verse 14 as we see Amos's response here. He says, Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. So here's... He says, essentially, this wasn't my idea. Like, like I, was, I was doing my own thing. I had a job. It was a pretty good job at those times. Actually, he says, I had two jobs. You know, I had two businesses that were flourishing. I, I was doing my thing. I, I was okay. Uh, some scholars would say that Amos was a pretty pros- uh, prosperous man in his area. He was a businessman. He was an outsider also. That's why Amaziah tells him to, to go back. He's like, go back. Go back there. Go back to where you came from. Like, we don't want to hear that mess here. But Amos says, God sent me here. This is God's message. This isn't something that I conjured up. This is what God has called me to do. And here we see the second mark of a prophet, we see the conviction of Amos. Amos left his home, left his job, left his sense of well-being to walk in obedience to the Lord. What an encouraging reminder. What a challenge to us to continue to walk in conviction, to walk in obedience. Listen, if, if you don't have convictions that are based in the Word of God, you will fall for anything. Know what you believe, why you believe it, and how to articulate truths of God's Word. And that's going to take some study. It's going to take some time in the Word of God. Once again, we look at Christ, the perfect representation. We see Christ's conviction as He left the perfect relationship with His Father in heaven to come and to save His people. Luke 22, 42 through 44 gives us a picture of this as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's pleading with God. He knows that the, the cross of Calvary, the torture that is to be endured, the, the wrath of God poured out on him is about to take place. It, it, it's in his view. Just as you see what you may be doing this afternoon. This is Jesus' view. Torture, torment, death. 
And here's what Jesus says. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He says, like, if you are willing, is there another way? The cup here is the cup of God's wrath. He says, if there is another way, would you just, like, if you're willing, would you make that evident? But we see the conviction of Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Deep conviction of our Savior. Paul reminds the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of on a cross. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9 teaches us, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He walked in obedience. He was convicted. He was connected. He was unapologetically convinced that God's way was the right way. We see the perfection of our Savior who accomplished what none could accomplish. Because of his great commitment to his Father, to the plan of salvation. God the Father plans it. Christ completes it. And the Spirit seals it and carries us home. Finally, as we close... See, the courage of Amos. See, the courage here in verses 16 and 17. He says, Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. So here in the face of opposition, the face of the elite, Amos stands firm and delivers a personal message from the Lord to Amaziah. I mean, he's like pointing his face. He's like, you, it's you. This is what's going to happen to you. The boldness and courage here. He says here that the rejection, Amaziah's rejection of Amos' message is a rejection of God's message himself. So we read, therefore God will judge him and his household. And this judgment is extensive. Let this remind us always 
to listen to God's word, even when it's something we may not favor. Even when it's something that we don't prefer, must be moved by God's word. Remember, right, the, the prophet's message, I talked about this in the first couple of weeks, but this was helpful. It was meant to help them to see and to identify their sin and to turn to God for care. Expose their sin. And the hopes was that they would repent. They would repent and turn to God. And then now because of Amaziah's closed ears and hard heart, he will meet destruction himself. The picture is painted that without a husband, his wife will have to make her living as a prostitute. So it's not only his, his sin doesn't just affect him, it affects his family. And brothers, we all know that that's true. When we fail to live according to God's word, our families are affected deeply. This is quite the degrading and unimaginable fall for the wife of a prominent high priest at Bethel, one of the places of worship here. His sons and daughters, they're going to fall by the sword. His land will be divided up. He himself will die in an unclean land. The nation itself is going to go into exile. Brothers and sisters, rejecting God's Word always leads to destruction no matter how prominent or powerful one may think themselves to be. We see the courage here of Amos as he stands in the face of the elite and tells them of the fate that awaits because of their sin. The question is, do we have that courage to do that today? But it must be met with compassion, must be met with conviction. We see the perfect courage of our Savior. Luke 11, 39, and the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Our Savior did not mince any words here. Matthew 23, 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? What about the, you know, soft and easy Jesus? Jesus, my boyfriend, Jesus, my buddy. Let's look at Christ of Scripture. Matthew 23, 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs. Like your outside is, is, is great. It's outwardly appear beautiful. But within you are full of dead people's bones. Many of you are dead inside. You, you put on a good show when you're around your, your Christian friends. You, you put on a good face when you come to, to service. 
But inside, you, you're unconverted. You have no desire for Christ. You have no desire for, for God. You have no desire for the truths of God's Word. Jesus tells them, says, woe to you, you're hypocrites. We see the scene in John 8 where some Pharisees are claiming that God is their father because of Abraham. They're saying, well, yeah, 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 God is our father too. And here's what, what Jesus says to him. He says, you are of your father the devil. That's a pretty harsh statement there. Like, God's not your father, the devil is. And he says, your will is to do your father's desires. He goes on, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar, the father of lies. But Jesus perfectly stood with boldness, courage. So what will you do today? How will you live your life? We've kind of briefly looked at three categories of people here. Okay, one, we see Amos the prophet. Uh, there's some, maybe you, you, you see that there are some characteristics that you need to grow in. Some things that you, you need to grow, you need to treat people with compassion, you need to have con- Convictions, you need to have some courage when dealing with those around you. And my encouragement for you is to ask God to help you today. We looked at another category, the sinner, walking in rebellion to God and God's word. And maybe that's you. Maybe your heart is hard. Your ears are closed. Maybe you're saying, I'm just not ready yet. I'm I'm not ready to to give up this, that, or the other. My encouragement, my challenge to you, do not wait. Wait. Do not wait to turn to Christ as the only and all-sufficient Savior. Do not wait to ask the Lord to rid you, to purge your heart of idolatry. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, the all-sufficient Savior, who is the help and hope for both of the above. He's the only hope for the weary. He's the only help for us who want to walk in a way that leads us to holiness. We need Him. We need His help. We need to ask Him to work, to reveal, to change. And through the power of His Spirit, Scripture promises 
He will answer the heart of those that are truly repentant. However you need him, Christ will provide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your kindness, the way that you, you don't always give us what we want, but you give us what we need. And I pray that each person that is gathered here today will see their selves clearly. Lord, that they'll be able to look into a mirror of self right now in this moment, and they will see the area that you are calling them towards. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be compassionate as we deal with those around us, those that are wallowing in sin, those that are living in rebellion to your will. But Lord, I pray that we would have convictions that are strong, that are deep-rooted, found in your word. That we would be students of your word. That we would be encouragers to one another. We would help to train one another. We would disciple one another, as your word calls us to do. Father, I pray that you would give us courage, that the convictions would bloom courage in each of us, that we would stand firm in the face of opposition, not on our own ideas, not on our own suggestions, but solely on your truth. Help us, God, for anyone that is here that is weary, who seems feels they are far from you, God. I pray that they would see Christ today in a new, glorious way. That you would peel the scales from their eyes. They would see Christ's death for them. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.